Hello, this is Bishop Michael Fisher of the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. Perhaps you've been asked this question before. If you could have dinner with anyone in history, living or deceased, who would it be? Well, as part of the Diocese of Buffalo's 175th anniversary celebration, we thought it would be interesting to try something like that. And so through the abilities of technology and imagination, we've arranged to meet with some of the people whose work and faith helped shape the diocese and whose impacts are still seen and felt in the community today. We invite you now to sit back, relax, and enjoy this feast for your ears and your spirit. Welcome to Dinners with Our Founders. Here's your host of Dinners with Our Founders, Steve Sishan. Thank you, Your Excellency, and welcome, everyone. For generations, immigrants from all over the world have come to Western New York, bringing with them their hopes for a better, safer, and more fulfilling life. In turn, they breathe new life into our community. These have included men and women who, through the Catholic Church, would take on the mission of supporting and educating their fellow new Americans and serving the greater public. Our latest guest is one of those people. Mother Colette Hilbert lived by the words, in all things charity. She and her peers provided charity through their works as teachers. Long after her death, her name lives on at one of the region's colleges. But Mother Colette's backstory is just as great as her legacy. It's a tale of sacrifice and faith amidst adversity. And she's here to share it with us now. So let's say hello to my guest, Mother Colette Hilbert. Hello and thank you. Dziękuję. Mother, you were passionate about your Polish heritage during your lifetime. I myself have Polish roots. My great-grandparents came from a tiny village in southern Poland. Yes, we came from a greater community that calls itself Polonia. I thought to celebrate our Polonia heritage, I'd choose a relevant meal for us to delight in. I've already gone ahead and ordered for both of us, and it looks like our dinners are arriving right now. Ah, there we are, guamki and pierogi. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you. Bon appetit, or as we say in Polish, smacznego. You're most welcome, Mother Hilbert. As we enjoy our dinners, we'd love to hear your story about entering religious life, why you came here, and the many obstacles you faced in your spiritual path before coming to Buffalo. It would be my pleasure. I was born on October 29, 1865, in a town named Obol, located a short distance northeast of Warsaw, Poland. You won't find it on any modern maps. Then again, back when I was born... You wouldn't find Poland on a map either. For our listeners' knowledge, this was a time in history when an independent Poland didn't exist. It had been divided many decades before, in 1795, between Russia and Prussia and Austria. Yet even though the land was occupied by other powers and the rest of the world had no longer officially recognized Poland, the heart of Polonia continued to beat strongly within its people. Yes, and it was that heart that would beat proudly when my sisters and I arrived here in Buffalo. Ah, uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. My father was Hugo von Hilbert, and my mother was Adele Anna Hilbert. Her maiden name was Shemnishko. Sadly, I did not get to know my mother. She died in September 1866 less than a year after I was born. Two years later in 1867, my father remarried. His wife, my stepmother, was Teresa Klein. When I was still a little girl, the family moved to Kraków, 
We were a wealthy family, so we were able to live in comfort and enjoy much of what the city had to offer. We also had the opportunity to travel and see places outside of Krakow, and many times we did so as Catholic pilgrims. One such pilgrimage was to Jasna Gura, a monastery in Częstochowa. Jasna Gura in English means Bright Hill. It's a shrine to the Virgin Mary and the home of Our Lady of Częstochowa icon, also known as the Black Madonna. During my visit to Jasna Gura, I noticed other Poles and observed their love for the Virgin Mary. She was their national patroness even if there was not an officially recognized nation of Poland at that time. They kept their faith, and seeing that moved me. It helped me grow my own love and devotion to the Blessed Mother. That love only grew stronger when I was preparing to receive my first Holy Communion. My priest told me, and all the other candidates, that we needed to invite Jesus into our hearts, become better acquainted with him, and be sure to tell him how much we love him. And oh, how I did love him. As I continued to hear Jesus' call, I chose to pursue my secondary studies at a private academy in the town of Cieszyn. It's a town that is now located on the border of Poland and Czechia, but in my day, it was an Austrian-Polish territory. Hmm, so why was this academy so appealing to you? It was run by the Sisters of Charity of St. Charles Borromeo. I turned out to be a very good student. I gained knowledge in science, mathematics, history, and art. I already had experience in language and music skills and improved them while there. The order was named for a saint whose work included building seminaries to educate future priests. And the sisters, likewise, focused much of their lives on educating others. Yeah, and they also highly emphasize charity, as their title indicates. So tell me how you and your sisters did this. They cared for the poor, especially children, as well as they could within their means. During my first Christmas at the academy, I helped the sisters care for local orphans. We made sure they were fed, clothed, kept warm. We celebrated the Christ child's birth together. It was our hope that the children, in turn, would have a new sense of hope. It was our prayer that one day they would have a more proper home. Perhaps in the back of my mind, I was also hoping we'd all have a proper home in the form of a newly restored Polish state. As they say, with God, all things are possible. And Christmas is a time when many people make wishes. Later in my life, I would see that dream come true. But again, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. What I did experience in the meantime was the increasingly louder call to my spirit to continue on a path towards serving God. The example of the sisters inspired me. While on a retreat near the end of my second year in Cheshire, I not only heard God's call clearly, I knew how I was to respond to it. In March 1883, the Sisters of Charity accepted me as a postulant, a candidate for ordination, upon the completion of further studies. Once again, I excelled in my studies. Two years later, I took my next step. Agnes Victoria Hilbert, come forward. 
You have demonstrated your readiness in mind and spirit to become a novice among the Sisters of Charity of St. Charles Borromeo. Are you prepared to accept the habit? I am, Mother Superior. I accept the habit of the Sisters of Charity with no hesitation and my full devotion and commitment. As you join us as a novice, you will be renamed for your new life as a sister. From this day forward, you will be Sister Mary Colette Hilbert. May God bless you as you serve him. Amen, and thank you, Mother Superior. And may God bless you as you continue your studies. Indeed, while I was now known as Sister Mary Collette, I still had more studies ahead in order to earn my teaching certificate. I successfully completed that task in my first year as a novice. I also had the task of proving my worthiness as I moved forward. And how did that go? Well, that part required a little more time, but I prayed frequently. I worked hard on whatever tasks I had in front of me. No task was too small. This was about sacrifice, about humility, about always being aware of meeting the needs of God's humblest people before satisfying my own. I did ultimately prove my worthiness. On August 7, 1888, I took my vows of poverty, chastity, obedience, and service without remuneration to God's poor and sick. Upon taking my vows, I became a full-fledged member of the Sisters of Charity of St. Charles Borromeo. It was one of the most joyous days of my life. Making it even more special was that my father and stepmother were in attendance and they, too, were filled with joy. My dear sweet Agnes. Thank you, Father. But remember, I am now Sister Mary Collette. I understand. The little girl, Agnes, will always be in my heart. But you are no little girl anymore. Perhaps not, but it is thanks to your permission and support that I was able to continue my studies and work my way toward this day. I will be forever grateful. We could not be prouder of you. Sister Mary Colette. In fact, we have a gift for you to celebrate this occasion. Oh, it's beautiful! My own copy of Our Lady of Chestahova. It is hand-painted. I hired an artist to carefully recreate the icon. And in light of who you are today, it is a most relevant gift. Oh, yes. It takes me back to when I saw the original icon at Yasnagora. That moment stirred my spirit so much. This is a most thoughtful gift. Thank you both. I love you both. It was indeed a joyous day for us all. However, it was also a bittersweet time. As part of my service and my obedience, I knew that leaving to do missionary work would be a possibility. I was torn, though. I loved my fellow sisters and my homeland of Poland, which I continued to dream and hope would be a free state again someday. But again, I had committed to serving God, and that meant going out to his people, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and helping those most in need. The question was, where? I prayed, and I prayed hard. And in response to my prayers, there came the answer. I must go to America. In 1889, at the age of 24, 
I joined four of my sisters as we left Cheshen for Bremen, Germany. It was there on April 3rd of that year that we boarded the SS Aller, the ship that would take us across the Atlantic Ocean. We traveled for about a week and a half, arriving in Hoboken, New Jersey on April 13th. After landing in Hoboken, we took an overnight train to Pittsburgh, where we were assigned to St. Stanislaus Kostka Church. We arrived on the morning of April 14th, Palm Sunday. We were greeted by enthusiastic parishioners. It was almost an embarrassment of applause and greetings. They even waved palms in their excitement. Wow, just like the greeting our Savior received upon his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. Yes, but the joy and welcome he was receiving would later turn to rejection and pain. Jesus knew what was coming. We, on the other hand, did not realize on that Palm Sunday morning that we, too, would soon be on a similar path from ecstasy to sadness. For the next several years, we served by educating the children of the parish, aiding the poor, and assisting the sick when needed. Our sisterly numbers expanded, with more young women coming from Europe and others joining us from local families. But after a few years, this is where things turned complicated. You see, third-year novices in our order were required to travel to Sheshen to study and pass a nursing course before they could take their vows. Back at the mother house, studies in prayer, by requirement of the mother house, were done in German. My superior, Mother Marina, was ordered to provide lessons in German language to our novices to help them prepare for their eventual studies in Europe. This did not sit well with many people in our local Polish community. Yeah, surely they must have been quite bitter about the continued partition of their homeland. Many were. Although Poland had been split up for many years, no power on earth could ever successfully eradicate the spirit of Polonia. Even people like me were still Polish in our hearts and in our spirits. Many in our congregation were old enough to remember life in Europe before coming to America, when all three occupying powers sought to eradicate Polish nationalist spirit, including the discouragement of open expression of our faith. America gave the Polish people a new home where they could continue to live and learn freely including celebrating their Catholic faith. Between the language requirement for our novices and the German origin of the Boromean order, our congregation feared we were trying to Germanize vocations for Polish-American girls. So were you able to convince people that you had no such intention of taking away their Polonia heritage? Unfortunately, no. And in time, even our pastor, Father Yavorsky, gave in to the pressure of the parishioners and requested that our mother superior be replaced. The mother house said no. In response, the pastor then asked that the entire local Boromean community operating the school be replaced. Wow, what a heartbreaking betrayal it had to be. To be fair, Father Yavorsky was trying to quell an angry congregation. We understood his position, and he understood ours. He did take pity on us and agreed to let us stay on until he could find another order which could take over the school. 
Our superior instructed Mother Marina to inform her when such a replacement was found, so we could then close the convent. However, Mother Marina had an idea that she thought could keep our local Boromean community alive. She was in correspondence with a Franciscan conventual priest, Father Felix Baran, who had previously asked her to send sisters when available to help them run his parish school in Trenton, New Jersey. Mother Marina decided to travel to Trenton and find out if something could be arranged. Meanwhile, our situation in Pittsburgh became desperate. While Mother Marina was away, we received a letter from our superior in Europe instructing us how to wind down our operations. The European-born novices and sisters, including myself, were to return to Cheshen. Our American novices could also come along if they had permission from their parents. If not, Mother Marina was to ask the new order if they could take in those novices. Postulants were to be simply sent home. Sadly, the parents of our American novices would not consent to either option, Europe or a transfer to a new order. So we lost all those novices. In the meantime, Father Yavorsky found our replacement, the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Time was up for us. We continued to teach classes until July 15, 1895, and were instructed by our superior to close down by August 10th. But Mother had a card to play with her connection in Trenton, right? Was her meeting with Father Barron successful? Not only was he still interested in having us travel to Trenton to help him, he was excited by the prospect of having sisters help him by the start of that coming school year. Of course, Mother Marina needed to inform our Mother Superior of her agreement with Father Baran. That had to be quite awkward. I mean, after all, it was in defiance of the instructions to shut the convent down. I'm sure Mother Superior was quite annoyed. <laughs> she decided to honor Mother Marina's deal, but there was a catch. Mother Marina was instructed to select one sister who, along with four American novices, would serve in Trenton for one year. All others, including Mother Marina, were to return to Cheshire. Mother Marina recommended that I be the sister who would stay and transfer to Trenton. The Mother House agreed. So what were your feelings about being the one chosen to stay behind? Here I was, so close to returning to my beloved homeland, but instead I was given this task and would stay in America. I had to be agonizing. Uh, it, it was, but through prayer I overcame my feelings and prepared to take on the task ahead. You'll recall that we arrived on Palm Sunday when we were greeted so warmly just like Jesus was on the first Palm Sunday. And as that week progressed, that joy led to sorrow and pain. And for Jesus, who was sent to us as a fellow human being, there was also a moment of despair. On the night before he would be crucified, he prayed to his father, asking him at first to let him avoid the pain and suffering he was destined to endure. But Jesus then accepted his fate and carried out his sacrifice for us. I prayed intensively over my own situation, and recognizing that sacrifice is a part of who we are as faithful servants of God, I humbly sought out the American novices and informed them that I would indeed remain with them. 
While they were certainly relieved, it had to be hard to say goodbye to the rest of your peers. You couldn't help but see the parallels between Christ's suffering and the feeling of betrayal among my sisters. As they boarded the train to take them to Hoboken, where their ship awaited them, Father Yavorsky was not there to bid them farewell. He did not want to see their pain as they left. Worse than that, just before they were to leave, Mother Marina became gravely ill. She was able to board the train, but it was the last time I would ever see her on Earth. In the meantime, the novices and I prepared for our own train travel to Trenton to begin our new assignment. Not long after our train left Pittsburgh, the novices wept, devastated by the disbanding of our community there. And they were worried about whether this assignment would work out in Trenton. And of course, it was only meant to be for a year. So they were concerned about what would happen next. We prayed as the journey began, and we recalled Jesus' words, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I must admit, I didn't get much sleep during that overnight trip, but I did notice my novices were more at ease as we moved along. Upon arriving in Trenton and appearing at our first Mass in our new home, we were once again welcomed so warmly. Not as exuberant as that Palm Sunday in Pittsburgh, mind you, but the congregation and Father Badan himself were happy that we were there. I served as the principal at the parish school while the novices worked directly with the children. I thought we could use more experienced leadership. I wrote to the mother house in Cheshire, asking to send a superior to oversee our small community in Trenton. But the mother superior in Cheshire wrote back, explaining that because this was intended to be just a one-year assignment, there was no plan to send us a superior. There was also still that little matter of the novices having to pass a German language course in order to qualify to take their vows. Once again, we could not help but wonder about our futures. We wondered whether this assignment would end in sadness, just as it did in Pittsburgh. But our fortunes were about to turn. We would soon gain the attention of a priest who would change my life. His name was Hyacinth Fudzinski. Oh, sure, Father Hyacinth Fudzinski, the man who had found Corpus Christi Church right here in Buffalo. Yes, and like me, was born in Partition, Poland, and had a loving passion for his homeland, its people, and their Catholic faith. I see this connection excites you. Yeah, well, I do have a bit of a passion for local history. Father was born Ignacy Karol Fudzinski in the town of Charnkov in Prussian, Poland. He came to the United States at the age of 17, settling in Syracuse and eventually joining the Franciscan Order of the Friars Minor Conventual. He took his vows in 1874 and took the name Hyacinth. He returned to Europe for further religious education and was ordained a priest in 1877. Once he became a priest, he returned to Europe, serving as apostolic confessor for Polish and German faithful at the Basilica of Our Lady Loretto in Italy. Very good. <laughs> you have been keeping up on your studies. Father Hyacinth held a similar role at the Vatican and the Basilica of St. Peter, but he would eventually return to America. In 1895, he was elected the new minister provincial of the Immaculate Conception province, based in Syracuse. 
His accomplishments in that role included the founding of Trenton Catholic High School in New Jersey. As part of his position, he would travel throughout the province to meet pastors and leaders. When Father Hyacinth visited our parish in Trenton, Father Baran arranged the opportunity for us to be introduced face to face. So what were your first impressions? Our conversation was brief, but Father Hyacinth was well aware of our circumstances. He informed us he was scheduled to travel to Rome and would speak on our behalf. He then encouraged us to petition our mother house to stay on for one more year. In the meantime, through letters and correspondence, Father Hyacinth and I discovered we were close kindred spirits. I prayed he could convince the powers that be in Rome, and especially in Cheshire, that our small Boromean community were still useful, and that my novices could somehow earn the right to take their vows without that language requirement. I kept Father Hyacinth updated on our progress. Dearest Father Hyacinth, I hope this letter finds you in good health and in good spirit. I took your advice and wrote to the mother house in Cheshire, asking them to extend our stay in Trenton by another school year. I also advised them that a certain Polish priest may pay them a visit by way of Rome and the United States. I wish I could tell you what the mother house said in reply, but alas, I have not received any response. I have now written to the mother house twice, but still await any kind of guidance. Until such guidance comes, my novices and I pray constantly and put our full faith into the hands of our Heavenly Father, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and His loving Mother, our Blessed Lady. We also pray for your safe travels and eagerly await your eventual return. Yours sincerely, Sister Colette Hilbert. Father Hyacinth eventually returned to Trenton, but he did not bring the news we were hoping to hear. He did, however, bring me an unexpected idea to consider. Sister Colette, I am sorry I could not convince the Mother House in Cheshire to waive the language test requirement for your novices. I was hopeful that they would understand the feelings of your novices, given their love of Poland and their sensitivity to the partition of the beloved homeland. But alas, the Boromian sisters remain steadfast in their requirements for taking the vows to become a full sister. It's all right, Father. I thank you for trying. Perhaps the lesson the novices and I need to learn is that we must sacrifice in order to stay true along the path God has chosen for us. It is interesting you should mention sacrifice, because I think I have an idea that will help you and your novices continue to serve your beloved people, but it comes with considerable risk. What do you propose? The Franciscan conventual fathers intend to establish a Polish province here in America. A Polish province, Father? Yes, sister. More and more people keep coming to America from our divided and occupied Polish homeland, seeking new opportunities here, seeking a new place to identify with their Polish identity more freely, including their Catholic faith. As part of our new Polish province, the Franciscan Conventual Fathers intend to open new schools. Those schools will need instructors and administrators. We believe it is sisters who are most qualified and skilled at running those schools. And this would all be under the Franciscan Order's guidance and leadership? Correct. And that's what leads me to ask you this. Sister Colette, 
Would you consider exchanging your Borromean habit for a Franciscan habit? You and your charges would become our sisters under a newly formed order. Under that new order, we could see to it that your novices take their vows without the need to take that language test. I am astonished. I certainly see the logic behind such a plan, but that is not a light and easy decision to make, Father. When I began my path to serving God, I committed to the Boromean order. Despite my frustrations, they are my family. They are my kindred sisters in Christ. You are asking me and asking my novices to leave that all behind. I realize I am asking you to make a very difficult choice. Take some time and pray over it. That is exactly what I did. I must admit, I was greatly torn by this offer. I loved my work serving Polish families in America, but I also loved my novices as if they were my daughters. I wanted to be sure they still had a future as sisters. I cleared my head and my heart of all anxieties and asked God to show his chosen path for me. One day, when I went out to pray, I knelt before a statue of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I immersed myself in prayer, asking the Lord for divine guidance over Father Hyacinth's proposal and whether accepting it would be the right choice. My prayer was answered in the form of a miracle. The statue moved. His head nodded as if to suggest yes, it was God's will that I stay with my novices, even if it meant giving up my Boromean habit to take a new one. One week later, Father Hyacinth visited the convent to meet with me. Sister Colette, thank you for welcoming me inside. Have you received any guidance yet from Mother Sophie in Cheshire? No, Father, I have not. I am troubled by the lack of communication. Indeed, that is odd. I have not received any correspondence either. In the meantime, I must ask, have you thought about my proposition? Please, speak freely. Don't be afraid. I have, Father. If, if you are unable to convince the Mother House to retain an American branch of the Sisters of St. Charles Borromeo, then my novices and I will be willing to change our habit. You love your novices very much. Like a mother. I have already made the sacrifice to stay in America so they may not be forsaken. I will not abandon them now. So be it. But do not worry. I must again travel to Europe, and I will attempt one more time to convince your mother house to keep your community intact and extend your mission here in America. Thank you, Father. We will pray that your travels are safe and successful. Was he able to change minds this time around? No, he was again unsuccessful. But he also learned why my superior, Mother Sophie, was not communicating. She had fallen gravely ill. She eventually passed away. Oh, that had to cause the further destabilization of the community in America. They still didn't have a long-term plan for us in America. The mother house had written me, recalling me back to Cheshire, effective immediately. They felt the novices had become experienced enough, now in their fifth year, that they could manage the school for a few more weeks. Were those same feelings coming back, like in Pittsburgh? Not this time. I never left for Europe. Instead, Father Hyacinth returned to America and delivered some surprising news. 
While our case remained stalled at the mother house, Father Hyacinth had pursued another option while abroad. He went directly to Rome. Yeah, that's right. He did work and serve in the Vatican for so many years, he still had all those connections. Including Pope Leo XIII himself. The Pope granted Father Hyacinth a private audience, during which he learned of Father's desire to form a new order of sisters to serve Polish immigrants in the U.S. Was that a difficult pitch for Father Hyacinth to make? It was perhaps the easiest request he would ever make. Not only did Pope Leo grant permission, he immediately bestowed his apostolic blessing on our new order, which was to become the Franciscan Sisters of St. Joseph. That had to come as a great relief to you and your charges. Yes, but there was still one difficult step to take. Writing to Cheshen and announcing and explaining my resignation from the Boromean order. My sisters back in Cheshen were heartbroken about my decision, but they respected my reasoning and offered me their blessing. The new order was officially founded on September 8, 1897. My novices and I adopted the rule of the Third Order Regular of St. Francis as our way to live in God's service. And my novices? They were no longer novices. They were my fellow sisters. So the new order of sisters was created. But did Father Hyacinth ever get approval to form a Polish province in America? Not yet. That wouldn't happen until 1906. But in the meantime, Father Hyacinth and Pope Leo himself had further plans for my sisters and me. Heading into the summer of 1898, my small group was leaving Trenton to move to a new assignment in Buffalo. The Diocese of Buffalo was just over a half century old when we arrived in July 1898. We could see many of the churches built by immigrant communities who had settled there. There was already a large, vibrant Polish community in Buffalo, and they had already built St. Stanislaus Church and five other parishes. But there was room for more. Father Hyacinth had come to Buffalo to build a new church, which was named Corpus Christi. I traveled with him to build a new convent for Franciscan sisters. I also became the principal for Corpus Christi School, and it was after settling at Corpus Christi Parish that I became Mother Colette Hilbert. My philosophy was, in all things, charity. My sisters and I, as part of our vow to live the Franciscan way, accepted poverty and humility. This was important, as we served many needy among our students. I would feed malnourished students, and if their parents could not afford items such as pencils or paper, I would make them available. Whatever their situations were, all the children received an enriched education in math, reading, and other skills, but also in faith. We were firm, but fair. I treated each child as if they were my own, just as I treated my sisters, as if they were my daughters. I ensured that all sisters who instructed the children exercised patience, expressed joy in their teaching, and always offered loving compassion. Although my life service to God did not begin by following the Franciscan way, I was now fully immersed in its ways. Those principles were the seeds that helped grow the Franciscan Sisters of St. Joseph. Our numbers grew as we headed into the early 20th century. Our sisters opened schools in several states, and I was named the Order's General Minister. 
Here in Buffalo, our numbers grew so greatly that the house where we stayed at Corpus Christi Parish could no longer hold us. We relocated to a new convent in Hamburg. And it was there that the college named for you, Hilbert College, was established and still stands. Just last year, it celebrated its 65th anniversary. Of course, I would not be there to see what my sisters accomplished. I was called from this earth to go home to our Lord in 1938. The sisters carried on our mission of charity and education. It was their vocation to educate, and they sought to build upon that vocation by training and preparing more teachers. They did so by forming Immaculata Teacher Training School in 1957. Our first class was nine sisters within our mother house. By 1964, lay women were welcomed, and five years later, men were also admitted. It was then that the school became Hilbert College. What became of Father Hyacinth? As I mentioned, Father got permission from Rome to form the province of the Minor Conventuals in 1905, and he headquartered it at Corpus Christi. He returned to Poland, now once again a free and independent state, following the end of World War I. He died there in 1925, but before leaving Buffalo, he took on another protege who left an impact in western New York, Father Justin Figas. In the same year Father Hyacinth died, Father Justin built what would become St. Francis High School in Athel Springs. He utilized the growing technology of radio to pray the rosary on the air. It would become a program known as the Father Justin Rosary Hour. Yeah, I've written about Father Justin and his program. It was on the air for decades and decades, even long after his death in 1959. Our numbers have changed, and certainly our world has changed, but what remains the same is we Franciscan Sisters of St. Joseph remain committed to a life that provides, in all things, charity. I have really enjoyed this, Mother Colette. Thank you. I, too, have enjoyed this conversation and this meal. Ready for some dessert? Some coffee and hruschiki sounds wonderful. You got it. And while we wait for the dessert, let's go back to Bishop Mike for his personal reflection on Mother Colette Hilbert and the impact she left on the Diocese of Buffalo and in the Western New York community. Mother Colette Hilbert lived by the words, in all things charity. It is the love fostered by charity which compelled her to educate young people. She had a passion not only to educate people to follow a path toward Christ, but also to preserve the heritage of her Polish homeland, which for decades did not exist on a map, but carried on in the hearts of its people. Upon arriving in America, the newly formed order which she led, the Franciscan Sisters of St. Joseph, made their way to Buffalo's Corpus Christi Church, where she and her order carried out their vocation of education. She found herself among many of Buffalo's poor families, and when necessary, she provided food and school supplies along with their lessons. Even after her passing, Mother Colette Hilbert's mission continued as the sisters founded what is now Hilbert College in Hamburg, an institution which, in 2022, celebrated its 65th anniversary and looks forward to many more years of providing education and opportunities to young women and men. 
Let us remember Mother Colette Hilbert's determination, and may we all live by her words each day in all things charity. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dinners with Our Founders. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. You've been listening to Dinners with Our Founders, imagined one-on-one conversations spotlighting the lives of some of those who shaped the Roman Catholic Diocese of Buffalo throughout its history. This program was conceived by Patrick Beakey and produced by the Department of Communications of the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. The voice talents participating were Bishop Michael Fisher as himself, Steve Seashon as your host, Eileen Coteris Ellible as Mother Colette Hilbert, Marion Heatherly as Mother Superior, Sarah Osmansky as Young Sister Hilbert, Deacon Gregory Moran as Hugo Hilbert, and I'm Michael Mroziak. I played Father Hyacinth Fudzinski. I'm also the show's writer and producer. Thank you for joining us for Dinners with Our Founders. Mm-hmm.